Hello. Um, it's great to be back at Bitfront. Um, so I would love to just hear from everyone. How many of you are directors? And how many are producers? How many of you are like distributors or yeah, or involved in, in broadcast? How many of you are campaigners? How many of you are actively doing a campaign now around your film? For, for, and, and is this your first uh, first campaign? How many of you are more veteran campaigners? Okay, so I'm just trying to get a sense because this is really a new area in some ways and then also not so new. Um, so I came to this um, through uh, directing a film that was here at IFA called Trembling Before God. And Trembling is about Hasidic and Orthodox Jews that are lesbian or gay. Now, I spent six years making the film um, because people were incredibly scared to come forward and share their story. Um, they were, you know, people were kicked out of their families, um, they were disowned, they were thrown out of religious schools, they were lying to their husbands and wives, telling them that they were straight, but in fact they were gay or lesbian and, and, and living these hidden lives. So after six years of making the film, it was really clear when I sort of envisioned distribution that I had a deep responsibility to the subjects, to the issues, um, and I couldn't just sort of hand over my film to a distributor. Um, I had to be as active an element in the distribution of the movie as I was in the art and in the creation of the film. Um, so I really, and, and this was, you know, in these days, Trembling came out in, in 2001, we've just been having 15th anniversary screenings. Um, so, you know, we just won at UCLA like a few months ago. So for me, um, there wasn't really this landscape of impact distribution then. There was Judith Helfand, I don't know if you know her films, Healthy Baby Girl, Blue Vinyl. Judith was like a pioneer in this space. There are, of course, people, filmmakers from the beginning, collectives in the 60s, 70s. I mean, there were people who were doing this work, showing their films to audiences that mattered. Um, but it didn't have, it didn't kind of grow as this world of impacting film. There were very few foundations or resources devoted to it. So, in some sense, I was really just doing like from the gut. I was doing intuitively, like how do I want to make my film have changed? How can I change people's lives um, around the movie? So, you know, we did a few which is one we, um, you know, we went to BBC Storyville. The film up went on, you know, on U.S. television, multiple broadcasts. It was on Sundance Channel. It was on Logo. It was on PBS. Um, the film was on the Australian TV, the film was on HBO Latin America, we were at Sundance, we were at Berlin, we were at ITFA. I mean, so the film had like its complete, you know, we were in theatrical release in the UK, in the US, in Canada, and, you know, multiple countries. So the film had its, you know, commercial life, but at the same time, I was really trying to create a campaign around the film so that I linked distribution and campaign together. So for example, the film went to Israeli television. Um, went to Channel 2, which at that point was the commercial broadcaster. And I thought, well, what am I going to do when the film goes to TV and then all these kids in schools have absolutely no way to talk about this. Their teachers have no way to discuss this. They did not discuss homosexuality you know, in the school system um, in that country. So I thought, well, why don't we, why don't we 
train people. So they trained 12 facilitators in the middle of Jerusalem, and they were secular, they were religious, they were a real mix, and then they went out and they did private screenings in pairs for 2,000 principals, teachers, and school counselors. Um, and that prepared for the broadcast, so that all of a sudden, when you would have this program on TV, teachers could deal with it, and um, counselors could deal with it. We also realized that like rabbis, you know, the religious leaders, are not gonna deal with this. They're gonna be the last people who will change. They're gonna be too scared, it's gonna be too threatening, and you know they're gonna try to uphold tradition and, and block change. Because also I'm dealing, in this case, with the most conservative um, wing of, of you know, of faith. So what did we do? We thought, well, who are the, who are the entry points? Who can change a community? We thought, well, maybe it's the mental health professionals. So we actually, you know, and all this was, you know, a, a campaign where we had to raise funding and we had to really gain support. So we flew in um, uh, about 50 psychologists, psychiatrists, and therapists. Um, who were all deeply religious, and they came from 16 North American cities, and we convened in a secret underground conference um, in gay affirmative therapy. So we had them for three days, and if anyone in their community knew that they were there, they would lose their jobs, they would lose their livelihood, people could really turn on them. So we had to make it secret underground, and, and we had things like, how do you do gay and lesbian affirmative therapy? We had people who had struggled with this issue come and speak their story so that they could hear people um, and hear the lives. And, and also we had them talk about bad therapy um, so they could hear sort of what damage their practice was doing to people. So we had this whole conference which then feeded many cities and people who could be support systems in different cities. Um, we did theatrical release, but instead of just putting it out in a theater, in New York, for example, we did three solid weeks in the theater of turning the cinema into a town hall. So every night we had dialogues, we had panels, we had interfaith discussions, we had Christian, Muslim, Jewish panels, we had, um, we had you know, a focus on HIV and AIDS and health one night. We had you know, Orthodox rabbis coming and going out on a limb and actually speaking with people and doing really like turning the cinema into a vital town hall. I didn't think of distribution, I always thought of partners in distribution. Um, like how do you change the space? When we went to Sundance Film Festival, we did, we did a Mormon Jewish gay dialogue because we were in Utah, and what else would you do in Utah but a Mormon Jewish gay dialogue? So, you know, we had people who were excommunicated from the church drive from all over the state to come. We actually had a family we had a man and a woman with two babies, and they came, and all of a sudden, midway through, he raised his hand and he said, you know, I've been struggling with this issue. I told my bishop um, that I was gay, and my bishop said, um, it will go away, just get married. And he said, well, my wife and I are sitting here with two kids, and it's not going away, and we don't know what to do. So, my, I had another friend who, she um, headed our outreach project in Jerusalem, and she showed the film to her fiance, and she said, this is, I'm so excited, this is a film I'm working on, now I can actually have a copy, I can show it to you. After he finished watching, he turned to her, he said, I'm gay, I can't marry you. <laughs> so, this was happening all the time. We were having people come out, 
the film is changing lives on the spot, um, saved for sure, saved her, her and her marriage. Um, so, you know, we really felt the urgency and the immediacy and the necessity of not just putting it out as a movie, um, but really putting it out as a movie into a movement. Um, and, you know, that was three years of my life. Um, I made a choice. Um, I'm sort of throwing away all my slides. I'll get back to that. But, you know, <laughs> I want this to be also, you know, live, interactive. I want to hear from you what you're working on, what questions you're wrestling with, and we have an hour. So, you know, let's pack as much in as we can. Um, so, you know, I really had to make a choice, you know, as a filmmaker, what, like, where was I on the spectrum of artist activist? And I think all of us as filmmakers are now making that choice, because there is choice now, where there may not have been as much before, because the landscape has dramatically changed. Even in Europe, in, in let's say the UK, um, you know, I work as well, not just as a filmmaker, but I'm the outreach director for Good Pitch. How many of you have not heard of Good Pitch? Okay, so Good Pitch um, is um, something that originated with Jess Search, who is the CEO of, of BritBot. Um, but she was originally at Channel 4, um, and she was a commissioning editor, and really thought, well, films are going out through BBC, they're going out through Channel 4, and, but that's mainly it for UK filmmakers, and this was very common. You know, for us Americans, you know, we don't have state funding, by and large, for the arts. There's almost zero funding for film um, from government, and certainly in the new Trump regime that's going to be, you know, if there's a fraction, that's gone. Um, so, you know, and we had very few television outlets. So we always had to be very entrepreneurial and very creative around how do we fund our films? How do we move them? How do we distribute them? Like, we didn't have as much what we look to here in Europe. Um, but also those models here are now collapsing. Um, and things are dramatically changing um, globally. Um, so, you know, Jess founded BritDoc Foundation and said, and piloted this thing called Good Pitch, which um, they then have brought to the US, and, and now Good Pitch is global. So what it is, is it's a training program and a pitch forum. So really, it's open call. You can just go to goodpitch.org. You can apply with your film. And seven get selected. And it's a multi-month process where we work with film teams um, to really strategize, like, what is your film? What change can it have in the world? Who are the partners who should be around the table? Um, you know, what's your vision, first year, second year? Like, what do you want to do with the film? And then we convene a high-impact pitching forum. And so there's pitching forums like IFA and, and Hot Docs, and, um, where it's more tilted towards commissioning editors from television. At Good Pitch, we have commissioning editors and broadcasters at the table, along with nonprofit leaders. We have activists, we have um, technology platforms, we have individual philanthropists, we have foundations that are both film foundations and issue foundations. We have um, you know, social entrepreneurs, we have tech brands, brand agencies, really creating a whole ecosystem of partners around the film um, to, really try to, uh, uh, to really try to create um, that movement um, with the movie. So filmmakers pitch for seven minutes, 
and then we have a half an hour discussion with the, a round table of people in the middle and an entire room. And at this point, Good Pitch has um, engaged 2,200 organizations globally. There's been, we just had a Good Pitch in Nairobi for African filmmakers. Um, there's a Good Pitch coming up in Jakarta for Southeast Asian filmmakers. Um, we've been doing Good Pitch in the US. There's Good Pitch that travels across Europe. The next one will be at CPH Docs, I think, in March. Um, uh, we've had a Good Pitch in Buenos Aires. Um, there'll be another one coming up in Miami for Latin American filmmakers and Latino filmmakers in the US. So it really is trying to unlock all these resources that have been untapped for us as, as filmmakers. And it's led to, it's helped leverage, I think at this point, $25 million in funding for films and campaigns, and it's led to like 1,600 partnerships. It's pretty extraordinary, and it's also, you know, we just had it after the election, and believe me, it was like people were just trying to get out of bed. Um, so we had a room where change seemed possible, where it was like a woman named Carmen Castillo, who is a hotel worker. Um, she cleans hotels, um, but she also just got elected to the city council of the city of Providence. And she's kept her job in the hotel, so she's now a city council member in a hotel. And she spoke, and people were just crying because she, for, for she is the star of Councilwoman, which is a documentary in progress. Um, and the filmmakers pitched. Carmen took a day off of work from cleaning and came and spoke, um, and it was like this is the future. And they raised a hundred and ten thousand dollars just on the day of Good Pitch for this work because people felt the necessity of advancing women like Carmen to office to gain political power. Um, so, which is really the theme, power, you know? I mean, we have power that we don't realize, that we don't exercise, you know, as filmmakers, as change makers. So, um, so yeah, I had to make a choice um, as a filmmaker. Was I going to just make another film, which, you know, is, absolutely viable, was I just an artist? Um, or did I want to live on the spectrum between artist and activist? Um, and I just felt like, given the amount of emotion and intensity and just injustice that was being done and the, the just struggle of all the people I met over six years, I felt like I wanted to delay making another film um, in order to really just devote to the movement of, of trembling. Um, so, you know, I always ask filmmakers sort of like, what's your, like, there are three words that I say, time, energy, and money. So time, like, where is your time scale around your work? Like, do you want to live with it for two years? Do you have, like, can you devote that? Do you want to just immediately put it aside? Energy, where's your passion for the story and for your subjects and for the issue? Like. Could you sustain that? Or are you just like, you got to the edit room, you're like, I cannot wait to get to the color correct, because I'm just done. Like, I just want to put the film into festival, I want to move on to the next film, I'm like so sick of this, I'm over it. So, you know, which is great, too. All these are great, that's what I'm trying to say, is that there's no value judgment on anything. If you're an artist, you don't believe that films should, you know, should have any kind of change campaign, wonderful. You determine who you are and how you live with the film just as much as you determine how you light your, you know, how you light the interview and how you edit the scene and how you, you know, engage the aesthetic and, and philosophical questions of, of your art making. So, you know, there's also money. 
big question. Like, how can you sustain, like, if you actually want to do campaign work, how do you sustain that? You know, and for me, it was like, okay, I have to be a fundraiser for the, for the impact. So those are all questions to, to think about. Um, maybe I'll return to slides. So one, so one thing to think about is just change. What's your theory of change um, for your work? If you do want to do a campaign, you know, and this is all, by the way, an incredible resource, which I, is the impact guide. So if you just go to impactguide.org, there is like a book that Brit Doc has put together, which is like a synthesis of all this knowledge. It's unbelievable resource. You should just like hold up, <coughs> curl up, cup of tea, just like read it cover to cover and look at the case studies. There's a lot of amazing resource. We're just distilling a tiny bit of it here. Um, so there's four impact dynamics. Do you want to create changing minds? Like, you know, mass awareness, public attitudes. For me, that was like really key around what I was doing around, um, around trembling. You know, changing behavior, changing behaviors. Do you have a film like called Bag It, which is trying to eliminate the use of plastic bags, or End of the Line, which is about overfishing, where you're really trying to create consumer change, or individual change, what you buy, what you boycott, build community, grassroots organizing. Um, maybe your film is really helping to serve a movement already existing on the ground, um, and you want to expand that movement. Or you want to do changing structures, like no fire zone. Um, about um, Sri Lanka. Okay. Um, I've been um, so you know, do you want to have a, um, you know, bring, you know, the. Okay, we're changing. Um, do we want to do something about changing structures? Is it legal? Is it, you know, is there a question of criminal justice? So, looking at top. Top, bottom, bottom up, top down. You know, is it petitions? Do you want to bring, um, you know, do you want to elect, do work around elected officials? Is it corporate change? Do you really, really want to go up against Monsanto, you know, and really challenge Monsanto um, or Exxon um, and really do a very protracted battle um, with the film? There's a film here called The Opposition, which I recommend, which is in Good Pitch Australia. And they are doing incredible work um, around um, this land rights case in New Guinea. Um, and it's just what they've done, they had serious opposition, they had to show a redacted version of the film at Hot Docs. The courts just cleared them, I think it's screening now fully um, here in Australia. It's a huge win for filmmakers um, and for freedom of expression. So that's one to look at. Um, and they're an extraordinary team. So, you know, I would ask yourself of your film, like, where does it fit on this quadrant? How much opposition is there to it? Is it a weak opposition? Is it strong opposition? Is it an unknown issue, or is it a known issue? And then that helps put films into sort of different categories. So for example, um, if we look at, you know, the question of Gasland, which is about fracking, um, you know, if we look at, um, you know, it's not necessarily a known issue for many. Yeah, fracking was like not on people's radar. Um, there was strong opposition from oil and gas industries and from extractive industries. So what did they have to do? They had to do a really investigative piece um, around that. Look at another film called um, Boudros, which is a film I co-produced, which is about a, um, a village in the West Bank 
um, that brought together different Palestinian factions, um, Israelis and Palestinians, women and men, to all do nonviolent resistance against the wall, um, which was cutting Budras, this village, in two. Um, an incredible um, team um, called Just Vision, which really does work to um, end the occupation and is promoting nonviolent leaders on both sides of the conflict. So if we go back to our, our graph, like this is an entrenched issue, Israeli-Palestinian conflict, the occupation, decades. Um, so, you know, and there's strong opposition to it, but it is known. So really what they wanted to do is to humanize this and to bring this story to light, um, to try to put a face on nonviolent resistance and really introduce that narrative into media coverage on the issue. We talked about artists and activists. Um, there's something called the impact producer. We have producers for our films, but there's a whole new role, and it's really like, for me, it's like a job growth industry um, of the impact producer, because we need, we need people who can devise strategy, who can fundraise, who can secure key partners, who can really execute and, and deliver a campaign. Um, now, obviously, we've talked about this. Sometimes that is you, but sometimes it's not. You know, there's so many different models for how to create your campaign. You know, I don't know if anyone has seen Bully about bullying, but Lee Hirsch himself was bullied, um, and he wanted to make a story about his experience and stop bullying of millions of kids. He's done the most extraordinary impact campaign. He wanted to drive it. Amy Ziering, who did Hunting Ground um, and Invisible War, also massive change maker. At the same time, um, we talked about Boudros, where the campaigner and this organization are one. Um, but there are also could be other possibilities with, um, with other models that we've seen. So for example, um, an impact producer can emerge from the film team to lead the delivery. Maybe it's your associate producer who's gotten so energized that they want to just take this on and run with it um, while the director moves off. Maybe it's like you're doing a film about addiction, you know, drug and alcohol addiction. Um, and maybe there's an organization that has helped you with finding subjects for your movie. Maybe there's someone who actually wants to take the lead in that organization and be trained and they lead the outreach campaign because they know this issue and they know it well. Um, there's a freelance impact producer who you can hire um, or a firm. I've listed some of these. Um, you know, there's like people like Firelight Media, Working Films, Borderline Media, Picture Motion, Film Sprout. Um, there's actually like a whole group, and I know that BritDoc has been doing now, they just did a lab in Finland to train European impact producers and producers from around the world. So if that is of interest to you, I can put you in touch with to go through this training and to really work whether on one film, your film, or on multiple films, because there's a real need for it right now. Um, one thing that uh, maybe what we do is, is cue the video. Um, this is just like one little video we created when I had gone through distribution and I wanted to revisit this for the fifth year anniversary of the Trembling DVD, and I wanted to try to create some kind of campaign for people to show the film, 
in DVD house parties all over the globe um, and to convene a conversation. You want to be included in this again? Yeah, a movie? A movie talker. I can do movies. You can do movies. What do you want me to do? I can do. 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 This is not quite that kind of a film. A documentary now showing in Baltimore depicts the controversial struggle of homosexual Orthodox Jews. And it is sparking protest. God said, no, God said it's an abomination. Heaven Before God went way beyond what I ever dreamed or imagined. I've had people over the years share with me how the film transformed their life, their family, their community, their rabbi. Seeing another woman being, you know, affectionate and being in love with another woman, that was, I never heard of that before. That was, that was like the wow moment. If I came out of this community, I better. <laughs> I was sitting last night and, and going through 1,500 pages of emails that I've gotten from people, and it was, I was really astonished. I had completely forgotten how intense the reactions were, how much it changed their families and their lives, how many people came out, how many people started embracing those that they loved who were lesbian or gay. And I felt like that was the reason why I'm doing this. This is way beyond the film. This is really a movement. But I feel like the work is not done. There's still a next step. You know, there's so many people who haven't connected with each other. And I thought that during this time of Cheshwan Anapash, when we, during the Jewish New Year, during Rosh Hashanah, when we count for our soul, we ask ourselves where we came from, where we are, and where we want to be. And we really look at how we treat other people. Our God is directly punishing us because he's bringing a sickness that comes directly to hom through homosexuals. Everybody knows that homosexuality is, 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 uh, is punished by death to God. I am extremely disappointed with the movie. This movement cannot and will not succeed because halacha and the will of Torah are not negotiable. I invite everyone to participate, to really grapple and struggle with these issues, to use this form online as a way to really be seen and be heard, to share, to brainstorm resources for how we can make everyone feel welcome at the table. And especially during this time of the year when no one should be turned away. Can you give me advice? 
And I said, of course. And of course, I became like a consultant, consultant producer, producer. And, and I wound up producing the film. And, and that film, A Jihad for Love, also had a global movement with it that we created. And Parvez, really, as a Muslim gay director, drove that. Um, and you know, played it, went to television, theatrical, um, and also did a different kind of campaign because it, the, it, the set of the context was different. So, um, but through that work, I met someone who um, I was in Jerusalem, and I and everyone kept saying, "You have to speak to the chief rabbi of Israel because his nephew is gay." And I met him. His name is Anikai, um, and he is. Uh, Um, so I, I asked Amichai to be in the movie, and he refused um, because he's too much of a diva, and he wanted his own movie. Um, <laughs> so you wait too, you, know, you wait long enough, you get it, but you're like, I don't do collage. <laughs> so that really began, you know, a process of me filming with him, starting in 2004. So I've been filming him for 12 years and I am about to start editing in January. Um, so for me, like, there is a real continuum with my work. You know, so much of the partners, the supporters, the funders that I was working, that I engaged with Trembling Before God, and then brought to a Jihad for Love, um, have now extended into, um, into this film, which is titled Rabbi. Um, because he's, yeah, he's basically a trickster, renegade, artist, performer, rabbi. Um, and is really trying to hijack religion back to bring it to its justice core. Um, so, um, and comes from, you know, 39 generations of rabbis. So, so, you know, for me it's really about, like, for, it's not just about the life of one film, it's the life of many films, and it's your life as an artist and a filmmaker all the time. Because what I'm really interested in at the most is how we create a sustainable life for ourselves as filmmakers. Like it's not just about our one movie, it's about how do we actually build our lives to do this work and to do it with maximum joy and to do it with maximum freedom and to do it with maximum money and to do it with maximum community and partnership um, and solidarity. Um, because we deserve it. Um, and it's like a radical thing to think about, is like radical optimism is a, is a practice I'm trying to cultivate in the new Trump era. Um, and I realize I can't be in a constant state of radical optimism, but I can be in moments of radical optimism. So, but it really is, it's like expanding our, expanding ourselves as, you know, like as filmmakers and to dream really big. You know, and when filmmakers come into Good Pitch and they're like, they're like, well, what do you want to do with your movie? And it's like, it's like almost like unlocking the, the that dream space where it's like, well, actually, I want this to, you know, stop rape for for women in, you know, in the military, um, or all women, like stop sexual violence, period. Um, so it's like, and then okay, then we work backwards and it's like, okay, how do we do this? And like, how do we strategize? And what partners? But it's like, what do we? How can we dream big? Um, with our careers, our lives, our films, our art. So, um, so we've gone through some models, and then you know I want to think about like developing the impact strategy. 
what do we do around that? You know, and asking all these questions. A lot of this is just asking questions like, you know, um, who's the target audience? What are the change dynamics? You know, um, what are the messages of our film? Like, how do we like brainstorm with this? How do we find these resources? You know, thinking through, you know, this is a typical good pitch table, like putting together this dream team, you know, around the table, you know, of all these different sectors of society that can really come together. Um, you know, and asking, sort of being, thinking about like, what could they give us? Um, you know, sometimes it's uh, issue experts. It's, you know, sometimes it's subjects for our film. Sometimes they have, you know, like in, while we're partnering in production, it's like maybe it's like, maybe they have an incredible archive. Um, they've done an incredible interview that we need. And we would never have met them unless we really put the film out there to this whole issue area. Um, they may have like the most amazing story and subject and contributor who could be in our movie or experts for interviews. Um, maybe they, like we had this, I mean with Bully, it was amazing. We had this organization called Facing History in Ourselves, um, which do work around tolerance and, and, and discrimination and racism. And they were at the table and they said, you know what, this film is so important about bullying. We're going to introduce you as a nonprofit to our funder. And that funder came on board the project. So that came from an NGO to their funder. You know, maybe, they, maybe they're Greenpeace or Sierra Club or National Resource Defense Council. They're an environmental organization. They have millions of members that they want to harness for your work. Um, they, can, they can give feedback on rough cuts and help m note a moment that actually could be really problematic. Now, we always say, it's your, you know, you have final cut. Like, we're not interested in having, you know, the field dictate your vision as a filmmaker. But it is always helpful to hear that, to hear that, and to then make choices as directors about how we incorporate that feedback. Um, but we really want to preserve the integrity and the vision of the filmmaker first. Um, but often we're dealing with sensitive and delicate issues. Um, so sometimes it could be crowdsourcing. You know, you're doing a Kickstarter campaign or an Indiegogo campaign, and those organizations can tweet, can put it on their Facebook, can actually generate people to drive to your, um, to your crowdsourcing. So there's a lot of ways in which these partnerships can really make a difference um, in your work. Once the film is completed, there's so much that can happen. Um, you know, let's say you're doing a film about education and you want to drive donors to support you know, a whole revolution in schools. Um, or they want to take it, let's say they want to take a 10 minute version of your film and use it for lobbying. Lobbying in the European Parliament, lobbying in the US Congress, lobbying, you know, um, you know in the political body in New Guinea um, for this movie. Um, you know, maybe they want to just have it on a, you know, do screenings like, like Pam and Paco did in, um, in Guatemala with incredible work around their uh, work to train, you know, the next generation of students to start asking um, their parents and their aunts about the genocide um, and to start collecting stories. Maybe there's someone, and this is happening a lot with our films, people are offering to create a study guide or discussion for teachers um, with the film. Um, maybe they already have an ongoing campaign and they could use your film immediately, or they can help make that screening happen at the UN. 
um, these high-level influencer screenings. Maybe it's just, you know, with Invisible War, someone got um, that film to the head of the Pentagon. That was the person who really needed to see the movie. It wasn't hundreds and hundreds of people. It was actually one key person in that decision-making power. Um, and so there's so many different ways that, that partnerships can make a difference. Um, I do recommend, if you have a partner, especially a funder, um, but also a partner, Active Voice has a resource, which I think is in the BritDoc Impact Guide, but you can also look it up. It's called Prenups, What Filmmakers and Funders Should Talk About Before Tying the Knot, so that everyone is really transparent, on the same page. Um, there's no, there's a real sort of common ground of the expectations. Um, so this is a really great resource that I suggest also to just curl up, cup of tea, just dive into and read. Um, I'd like to say something about the role of, of subjects. Um, I think this is something that we have not really addressed as, as filmmakers fully. So, so with Jihad for Love, um, one of the main subjects was Imam Mohsen Hendricks. He's in Cape Town. He's the first openly gay imam. And he um, has founded a group called the Inner Circle, um, which is supporting GLBT Muslims. And we're filmmakers. I mean, there was a shelf life. We're not going to be involved with the films forever, but there are going to be subjects in our films who are going to take that issue on for the rest of their lives. And I thought, well, how are we going to support him as a subject? You know, and there's a lot of really, you know, there's, there's this is also in the, the guide, but you know, there's a difference. There's subjects who want to be leaders and subjects who don't want to be leaders. There's people who are incredibly vulnerable and people who are very visible. So I would, the same way that we're mapping our films into quadrants, uh, map your subjects. Because some of them, you know, this is really dangerous. And how do we support them? For other subjects, they want to be, this is their promotional tool. They want to take this film and run with it. And we have not really thought through how we incorporate, build, engage, support the subjects in the lives of our film. We need to think about what are our subjects doing five years later, 10 years later? What is your film's role in their changing their lives? It is a deeply ethical question that I think we all need to ask, um, but it's also very strategic too. So in this case with, with Moksin, yes, he was vulnerable, um, but also he wanted to be a leader. So I recommended him for this Echoing Green Fellowship, which supports social entrepreneurs from around the world. Um, thousands of people applied and he got it. Um, and so it enabled him to have a three-year fellowship to support his work in building his organization. Um, and he received funding and networks. So that's something that I really recommend we think about. This, these are Ron and um, Davis and um, um, yes. <laughs> okay, they're with three and a half minutes. Their son was murdered. Um, Jordan Davis. They're like on the circuit activists. Three and a half minutes has been a huge platform for them. Um, you know, Newtown, the film about the mass shooting in Newtown. Um, they also are testifying, trying to pass sensible gun violence um, and gun reform legislation. Even the subject of bully, his, you know, he's was a bullied kid who appears in the film. The film created a lot of resource for him, you know. But we also have to think about well, if our subjects, are we supporting them with money to go to screenings? 
Are we, you know, what kind of opportunities are we giving them? Because they also may have full-time jobs. So what is it, what are we doing around, you know, let's say our subjects are coming to IFA, how are we supporting them? Are we raising money so that we can pay for hotels, for stipends, for food, for, for all the ways in which they may be integrated and leaders of the campaign? Um, this is Amina Matthews from The Interrupters. Um, so I think we should open it up. Like, let's share ideas, let's questions. We've got 20 more minutes. Um, I'm just, let's open up the room, yeah. Hi, so please, if you have questions, oh, use the mic. Sure. <laughs> Thank you. Hi. Um, could you talk a little bit about the practical aspect of when the campaign can be like infinite in time? Because the issue that the movie uh, is talking about is relevant maybe forever, and you didn't plan on, on that long. So, like, what are the practical issues that come along with that? So, going back to time, energy, and money, <laughs> this is the quadrant. Um, you know, some filmmakers have chosen to house. Let's say there's an active campaign, but you know, like Pam and Paco, who did the reckoning about the International Criminal Court. Um, at a certain point, they created a, a you know, an interactive <laughs> platform um, on the web. Um, that really was mapping in real time, like lots of decisions globally around the court, and there was like, it was really wonderful, you should definitely um, look into it. But at a certain point it was like, we're moving on to do our next film, and they housed it with a nonprofit who would take that map on, and who would keep that platform, that interactive platform going. So I think that it is also, I mean, that can emerge from the campaign too, about thinking through like, who could take that on? Or maybe there's an impact producer who gets so fired up that you that the directing team can step back, um, you know, and then they raise the money so that they can keep going. But certainly there is a you know there's a certain shelf life for this work, um, and there's a certain goal. I mean, there's you know have people reached their goal? Um, maybe the goal was to put the issue on the map and create you know, a resource, maybe it was just certain policy change, and that happened. So it's really sort of campaign dependent. Um, but yeah, I think housing it, and thinking about the longevity, um, because it's an issue of management of staff, and time, and energy, and, you know, yeah. Yeah. Yes, um, I'm excited to hear that you were associated with Boudreaux. With, with what? Boudreaux, uh -huh. yeah. Um, because it's a wonderful example of a film made um, about an issue, about an event that had happened earlier. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. nobody involved in the film, as I understand, was able to film it live, right? right? So it was get all the stuff was gathered. And it's a wonderful, wonderful film. Mm -hmm. So I, I wrote about it, and one of the things I found out was that there was almost no news about the nonviolent victory at Boudreaux when it happened. Mm -hmm. After the film came out, the news of that nonviolent victory was in the New York Times and the international magazines, papers. I, I, I didn't, I just completely ran out of time to do all the sources, but mm -hmm. you probably had a sense of that. Mm -hmm. And it, as far as I know, it's still on online in the web page, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's so so I'm, I'm saying um, it might be an example of something that 
would ask us to reimagine the, the before life and the afterlife of documentaries about things like nonviolence. Uh, history is full of events that would make wonderful, impactful documentaries. And I think it's interesting because Julia Basha, you know, is an example of a director. She, you know, out of that work, and I think our work all exists on continuum. Like she's now making a film about women leaders of the first Intifada. Um, and you know, out of these stories come other stories, and then it takes the work forward. So, and then as that film comes out in the world, people then look back to Boudreaux. So there's a dialectic and a movement between all of our films and our whole circle of films. That, but it is interesting because mainly the Israeli media reported on like nonviolent protests as terrorism, as you know, as as violent, and so it really did shift the narrative around introducing to a whole press corps and to a public a whole way to kind of reframe um, something that they didn't really know. It um, changed the news story, I yeah, think. Yeah. And we were always wondering, how do you do that? Because the story seems carved in stone, mm -hmm. but yeah. this film did it. Yeah. Other thoughts, questions? Yeah. <coughs> or, or, or if you have like a question you're wrestling with for your own film or campaign, let's throw it into the room and like brainstorm. Yeah, I was wondering if you can talk about more how to uh, work well with NGOs and nonprofit organizations. That how do you get them on board and how do you get them motivated to make the film uh, get bigger in and help their work? It's a great question. So, um, one, I think one thing to do is first of all to recognize both the possibilities and also some of the, the pitfalls, you have to find, I think with an NGO, like they have their own time, energy, and money issues. So it really has to dovetail with their interests. Sometimes we try to impose our film and say, we want you NGO to do everything for this movie, but it's really not in their plan. And they have to devote staff time. They have to devote resources to do it. But when there is common ground, it can be quite extraordinary. Um, so I think definitely, um, sometimes we convene these brain trusts and these strategic sessions. So they could be um, at an, an NGO who's already on board. And we convene all of the NGOs in this space um, so that they start to see that there's common coalition. When they also start to see that there's broadcast potential or distribution potential, that there's funders involved, that there starts to be this amazing connection between funders who see, wow, there's going to be hundreds of thousands of people who are going to move this film and, and use it. You see funders who say, my dollars are going to really make a difference. You see nonprofits who say, wow, we could really advance this issue with huge public awareness from distribution and, and funding that gets injected into this space from funders who aren't competing with our own dollars. They could be funders who are coming from the film world, for example, like Fledgling Fund, or Chicken and Egg, or the Brit Doc Bertha Connect Fund, or you know these number of funds who've really popped up and are supporting this work. So you start to feel the possibility. Um, it's great to find that person in the structure of the NGO who's really a film lover, who is like on board and really feels like this film could make a difference for their work. It may not be the president, it may not be the CEO, it may be the communications person, 
and maybe the membership director. So it really is helpful to map that organization and to, and then also just to map the space. We want to map, like if we take an issue area, we want to map the space. We want to see where Amnesty International or Human Rights Watch or, you know, or other organizations are to think about who are our most strategic partners. And sometimes, I know for me with Trembling Before God, I came from, like, sometimes there's more opposition. So it's sort of, where do you start? Do you start with the organization that's hardest to reach? Or do you start from the middle? And you start to build out. And by the time you have three or four organizations in coalition, it's safe enough for the most for the most conservative organization to come on board. So there's a lot of questions around thinking through this. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. I was just wondering, because you started out like 15 years ago, everything was different. And uh, I was wondering now the experience that, because most NGOs, now they all have their media outlets, image films, uh, own campaigns, um, Kickstarter, they're like overflowing with films to fund, I mean, fund, fund every film. But you've experienced something like that, that it's getting harder because there's so much, you know, they get run over by filmmakers, and issues and films to fund and things. I, I, I'm not, I haven't felt that, I mean, mainly because I've just seen it in action now so many times with with um, with nonprofits and NGOs really seeing the power because now I mean for example with the impact guide there's all these case studies there are these short videos that can be shared um, around let's say give up tomorrow or invisible war or you know end of the line or chasing ice like where they can where even just with this five minute video they can see what a film has done in the world. So I think there's way more awareness of film as a tool. And look, everybody is trying to figure out visual storytelling. Everyone's trying to figure out storytelling. You know, as a rabbi's wife told me, she said to her husband, you have to be in his movie because no one reads. You, know, you have to be in the film. And it's like, I had to literally hide a TV, like with a VCR, in a bag, in a box, because in that ultra-Orthodox world, they don't even watch television or go to movies. So it's like, this is percolated and permeated everywhere. So I think that everyone is trying to figure out, you know, how we persuade people politically, you know, economically. Like, so um, I think it's a ripe opportunity um, right now, actually, um, for this landscape. And I think more and more with, with Good Pitch and with forums like that, there's, people have now sat, some people just come to learn um, and to say, well, how can I use film in my work? Um, and storytelling. So, you know, viral video, I think short form content is a huge, huge possibility. We have the ability now to have on Opdocs, on The Guardian, on, you know, um, a short version of our work which can drive a campaign and then our long film, our feature length documentary comes out, you know, six months later or two years later. So we're able to play with multiple media and multiple formats um, at campaigns that have a lot of dexterity flexibility, creativity. So I think it's a, I think we're actually living in this golden age around it. Yeah. Do you feel that um, apart from NGOs, uh, who, are, who are very sort of obvious partners sometimes, do you feel that brands are also 
picking up on this more and more now? I think if you look at um, the example of end of the line about overfishing and looked at how Waitrose, um, the supermarket chain, got involved with the film and, and it actually pushed them to stock sustainable fish, um, that's a great example of a, of a company that gave out you know, tickets. Um, I think um, they trained all their employees in the issues of the film. They had a relationship between the distributions. I think if you got brought your ticket to to the supermarket, you got I think some kind of discount. Um, you know, there was a real synergy between a brand um, and a film and a campaign that was one of the for me the initial um, success stories of how to knit this together. There's also you know, I mean not every brand <laughs> they have to be progressive brands. Um, you know, they have to be open. I mean there's. And I'm not talking about brand, like there's also films that are completely brand generated, brand funded, brand final cut. I'm not as much talking about those. I'm really talking about supporting filmmakers with independent vision and, you know, and, and their own cut. But uh, you know, I think there is very interesting opportunities. Patagonia um, has really has come to good pitch and has funded film and funded campaign. They've been really interesting. I think the body shop has been another. So I think we're seeing you know, this pop up, um, and I'm curious how that field moves forward um, you know, in, a, in a way that is, serves the filmmakers, um, and not just that we're tools for the brand. Um, I think that's the danger. Um, yeah. Other thoughts, questions? And, and I'm, if anyone has your own film that you want to just throw out there and you're like trying to figure out your campaign or question with it, feel free. Yeah. Can you uh, talk a little bit about budget? I find a lot of filmmakers, when they get to this point, because a lot of people don't think about impact early on, yeah. if, when they can start doing the planning, what that entails, and the differences either from that list of how much bullies campaign costs them, how much give up tomorrow costs American Promise, and then. Who would you suggest would be the responsible um, party to be in charge of like the impact? I've seen filmmakers who pass that on to the producers, and the producers really are like, well, I don't know what to do with this. So if you could speak a little bit about that. So on the impact guide, there is a whole section about budgeting, um, because I think it's a real, you know, pattern. I mean, there are some campaigns that are literally raising half a million dollars. Um, I don't know what the, the euros, but but you know, they're multi-year campaigns, they're huge scale, they're big teams. Um, it's really a question of also staffing teams, what kind of resources you want to create. There are other campaigns that like, you know, they're trying to, let's say, raise $25,000 or 50,000 because it's really about how you want to scale um, the work. Um, you know, certainly if you're going to a uh, company like Picture Motion or Working Films, you know, they have a lot of experience in sort of scaling and budgeting, you know, and really thinking through, well, if you want to do X, then it would cost this. If you want to do Y, it would cost this. But for independent filmmakers, I would um, suggest going to the Impact Guide and also reaching out to other filmmakers. Like, you know, we're resources for each other. So if you see a campaign, you know, then I would reach out to that filmmaker and say, we have an alignment here. You know, I want to do a film also. I had a woman who just um, came
came up to me who's a filmmaker and she said, I'm making a film on sexual assault in France. So how do we look to the model of invisible war? You know, we're not needing to recreate the wheel. So how do we do, how do we replicate maybe some aspects of that campaign in France? What are the tools that we need? You know, maybe the invisible war team could share um, some templates. Um, so we don't need to recreate the wheel. I think some of those resources are already out there and we can tap them. Um, so I would definitely suggest BrickDoc is a real source for a lot of this um, as well um, through the Impact Guide and, and just them as the Connect Fund. And I was just going to add to that that very often the local distributors now have got a full-time person as their impact producer and so if you can do it that way as well, certainly mm -hmm. that sugar film for instance went that model. Yeah, and I think Australia um, is an amazing model because in Australia, I guess maybe even five years ago, it was like you had two options. You had ABC or you had SBS television. That was it. If you were a filmmaker, it was broadcast and festivals and some community screenings. That has revolutionized because Ian Darling, who is a philanthropist and a producer and a filmmaker and an extraordinary human being, um, founded Good Pitch Australia. And all of a sudden, like they've now had three events um, at the Sydney Opera House with, I think, six films. Um, and they have, he has raised millions of dollars for films and campaigns. Um, it has completely changed the whole philanthropic landscape. Philanthropies did not really support film. They did to some extent, and there was um, the Australian Documentary Foundation, but it has like, he has gotten a peer, an appeared peer ask. He's asked other philanthropists, and I don't know about you, but I'm curious if you feel like it has shifted the whole landscape for this. Um, it, has, it has shifted it indeed. I mean, the amounts of money, I mean, Ian, it's very, it's a classic case of he's a philanthropist who has access to all those, you know, get all the, the old families now turn out, it's quite an event. And of course he's on the board of the Opera House, so he can get the Opera House. So um, it's a very very good use. Of, but I, I mean there's one difference is that with the people in other countries, places you've been, you will get new filmmakers each time. He does tend to do repeat filmmakers and there's been a bit of a bundling among the swell about that because once you've been through it once you have access to all those people and maybe it should be passed on. But he has indeed raised these money yeah. And I think the goal is like we're you know, let's find the the Argentinian, you know, and the Bolivian Ian Darlings and let's you know, let's engage the the Kuwaiti and the Singaporean Ian Darlings. It's like let's just unlock, you know, all of that potential and really like let's make their money work for good. Um, <laughs> So, you know, I think there's a real possibility of, you know, of, of things changing very rapidly um, in a context, and it's really exciting. Um, you know, I feel very hopeful. I know that, you know, the good pitch, you know, that just happened in Nairobi in Kenya was really extraordinary. Um, it felt like a real watershed moment, um, and that's gonna keep building for African filmmakers. And now there, there was um, a group that came from Nigeria to observe Good Pitch in New York, and they're trying to create resources and a Good Pitch square in, in West Africa. So, you know, this is, we're like in the midst of it, we're inventing it, we're all inventing it, we're co-creators of this, um, and I think that, um, yeah, let's just dream, dream very big. Um, do we have, tell me, can we do a time check? I don't know what the time, 
Okay, one more question. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have a, a case study. I'm working on an um, impact campaign right now about uh, racism in the Netherlands. Um, and part of the issue or problem um, I'm facing right now is the fact that we just got funding, um, but um, the, our campaign, um, not the organization of the campaign as well as the campaign itself, um, is, is up for a lot of critique because um, I, I'm white um, and uh, a lot of people part of our organization are white, not all, it is a diverse production company, but um, one of the critiques I'm getting right now is the fact that okay, you as a white organization are now taking funding away from uh, potentially a black organization. Um, how do you take position in that? So it, 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 it becomes um, something we have to deal with as well, that the way that we do the campaign, not only this campaign itself, is actually part of the impact. Is there anything, some sort of experience that you could share in your I think this is a very, very important question. Gets at questions of equity and and um, so we just had a film in Good Pitch in the U.S. called Dawnland about Native American um, really the story of how so many Native American children have been taken from their Native families and adopted into the foster care system into white families. The team that was doing this was a white team, director, producer, and we said we cannot we we don't we're not we can't have you pitch. Um, we can't really support this process unless you really have someone who moves into a position of power within this campaign who's native. Um, and so they actually engage someone whose name is Bruce, who works at Pequot Museum, who's Passamaquoddy, and he's um, indigenous leader. So it's an interesting, like, he came on board as like an impact producer to work with the team. Um, that's something that you could do, you could fundraise for, you could really, you could build a partnership with an organization that's doing the work, and so that you're doing it together, you could um, specify another role, so the person doesn't have to be the producer of the film, um, or in the role of the creation of the film, but they could have a designated named public role and really a co-strategist for the campaign. Um, and that's something to, you know, that I think would probably serve the work. I think there's a huge role to play for people who are upstanders, who are really allies, you know? I mean, we're entering an era where immigrants, people of color, um, Muslims in the U.S. are going to be, there's a huge attack, you know, not as if there hasn't been already, but like we're talking like four years, and like as someone who's not Muslim, as someone who's not an immigrant, as someone who's white, like, I need to be an ally. I need to be an upstander. I need to put myself on the line for people. So, you know, I think there is a key role for you to play in this movement in the Netherlands, but I think there's also a way to create some kind of um, visioning a different structure, you know, to really um, have a, a team that is really reflective, you know. So, very importantly. Um, so happy we had an hour together. Um, <laughs> and uh, I wish you all the best of luck with your work. And, and it's an honor to be with you. So thank you.